John, we're getting close to spring training. It looks like we know pretty much what the Mets and Yankees look like. Is that good enough? <laughs> we're within two weeks now, and the Mets and the Yankees, certainly interesting teams. I think the Mets, everybody thinks they're taking a step back. We're going to talk about that, whether they actually are. And the Yankees, they're predicted to do better than anybody in the AL East. I've got my questions about that. That's interesting math. We're going to talk about that interesting math. We're going to talk about what we would change with the Hall of Fame. We're going to talk with A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Detroit Tigers, and we're going to play hit or error if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. John, we got the conference championship games done in the NFL. We only have one uh, NFL game left this season. Uh, by the time it's played, there will actually be two teams in spring training, the Dodgers and the Padres, because they open their season, uh, I think it's March 2021 in South Korea. Uh, so they're beginning their spring training a week early. The other 28 teams all open. I think uh, the on-the-field date is February 14th. Well, the report date is February 14th. Uh, so we're about two weeks away from then. So even though there's still tons and tons of free agents out there, John, yeah. we, we thought this would be a good time to ask, like, just the general question about the two New York teams, about where the level of concerns are. What what worries you? So let, let's why don't we start with the Mets? Uh, they obviously have changed uh, who's running baseball operations. They've changed who's the manager. What, what, as as we get closer to support St. Lucie, John, what worries you about the team? Well, I mean, they look like a solid team. I, I think they can be competitive, but I mean, obviously there's some big questions. I mean, it, it seems like the goal has been set back a little bit, the expectation a little bit set back. Certainly, I think they're aiming for 2025. I, I do think David Stearns has done a good job putting together a a solid team. I know when Joe Beningo was on, you weren't on that week, but uh, he just was going on and on about him being a small market GM. I mean, I think that was kind of the uh, task this year was to put together a decent team. What and is a I, small market GM? I'm uh, curious what that is. Well, you like know, if we're going to talk about it on our show, what, what 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 does that even mean? Well, somebody who's not competing for Snell and Chapman and Bellinger and all those guys, they I guess. $325 million to a guy who never played in the major leagues. Um. Yeah, yeah. That that doesn't feel very Milwaukee to me, right? <laughs> that's a, that, uh, that's that's small a detail. By the by, the way, mean, Andrew Andrew Friedman came from Tampa to Los Angeles and actually got that guy. I, I would assume a smart guy could figure out how to go from a small market to a big market and right. make it a success. But ultimately, those kind of decisions are made by the ownership anyway, right? I mean, it's the the, the GM or the baseball president doesn't set the payroll, so I uh, you know. He's going to be a big market GM. He's not technically the GM. He's baseball president, but he will be big market. Uh, certainly is now. But once uh, Cone gives the go ahead to really spend like we expected Cone to spend. So we did expect him to take a bit of a breather. That said, I think they did a, a solid job. I, their starting pitching depth is better than the Yankees. I still think they're working on the bullpen. I'm a little concerned about the lineup. I'd love them to get somebody to bat behind Alonzo. Um, but I mean, I think they're competitive. If you're, if you're not talking about the Braves and the Phillies, if you're talking about the National League as a whole, I think they may be competitive and, and may steal that final playoff spot. John, I I assume David Stearns will be good at this because he was good at it in Milwaukee. And all my dealings with him, I walk away thinking 
there goes a smart guy who has real three-dimensional thinking about the way he puts together a team. But ultimately, you never know, right? Like there's been guys along the way uh, who I thought could do the job, who couldn't, and guys who I thought couldn't, who could. You know, this is human life, whatever. Having said that, I will say two things. I think that David Stearns has been more transparent about what he's trying to do than any New York top executive in a sport for any of the teams. Like he's been transparent. And then the question is, you might not like the plan, but he doesn't he get the chance to do a plan in year one? The, the Mets essentially waited a long time to kind of like open up the job for him. He clearly said, we want to try to be as good as possible in 24 without disrupting anything 25 and forward. And that kind of the only person who fits that for a long-term plan is a 25-year-old guy we project to be an ace, which is Yamamoto. And they offered him $325 million, which is the ultimate price he signed with for the Dodgers. Everything else has fallen into the bucket of it doesn't disturb the long-term. I even agree. I know there's like a lot of yelling about why don't they go get a DH? And I kind of understand his point, which is if we were trying like it was 2023 again, and it's gung-ho. We're trying mm -hmm. to win as much as possible. I think J.D. Martinez or Justin Turner or Jorge Soler would be a met. But they, part of this year has to be finding out about Vientos, has to be finding out about Beatty. You know, because I do think they're going to go guns a-blazing starting in 25. And they need to know more about what they have here. I think he's been transparent about it. Absolutely. I mean, there's no question about it. He's done what he said he was going to do. I think their team looks solid. I think he's made generally good moves within the uh, parameters of what he said he was going to do. He's kept Alonzo, which he said he was going to do. I would like to see the DH because, uh, frankly, I'd like to see Alonzo stick around. I don't know if it's going to affect him long term. Normally, it's always about the deal. But, I mean, the guy's been hitting 45 home runs a year forever, 50 one year. Uh, without a bona fide number five hitter behind him. I'd like to see what he could do with a real number five hitter. Maybe Al Beatty or Alvarez will become that guy, but certainly going into this year, we don't know if they have it in them to be the guy that bats behind Alonzo, and it's a small price to pay. At this point, personally, I think that the deals are in the hitters. Uh, these pitchers, some of them are being overpaid, and I think the hitters generally – uh, are probably being underpaid. Look, I mean, did, did anyone think Teoscar Hernandez is a, a well above average hitter? He took a one-year deal, uh, right? If you're just a, an okay pitcher, you're going to do extremely well. I, I'm always, I'm thinking, let's get a good deal here. And I think they can get a, probably a good deal on either Soler or Martinez. But that being said, uh, I generally, I'm, you know, I'm not a fan. I'm a reporter. I like what they've done. I have faith in Stearns. Uh, I get it. They lost probably over $200 million. That's what we've estimated. No one's disputed it. Uh, you know, even if you've got $20 billion or so, I get it. You don't want to be paying $100 million in tax. And even more than that, if you keep going the way he was going, I get it. I don't blame them. And I think they're a solid team who could be interesting this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to see all the like, look, I, I've been fairly critical of the Mets over the last three decades, but like one of them is like they're cheap. They have $70 million in dead money and they're going to have a $330 million payroll for luxury tax purposes this year. The team that has the third highest payroll right now behind the Mets and the Dodgers 
is the Yankees. I think they're third. They might actually be second, uh, but they're up there over 300 million. Also, I guess 300 million doesn't go as far as it used to, John, because we're probably both going to find some stuff we don't love about them two weeks before spring training. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they're seen as a favorite now, and I frankly don't quite get it. They were 82 and 80 last year. They were almost 20 games behind the Orioles. I see these predictions of the Yankees beating the Orioles by 5, 10, 15 games in some cases. I'm not sure I understand that. The Orioles were a young team, so they should be on the rise, if anything. And Jackson Holiday could be appearing sometime soon. And I think Gunnar Henderson will be even better, perhaps an MVP candidate. Now that I know they haven't done anything, uh, it seems like, to me, the Yankees are a little bit overvalued because they got the uh, shiny object in uh, uh, Juan Soto. They didn't get Yamamoto, but... Uh, they are better. They were better than 82 and 80. They just had so many injuries last year. Um, I think that was the problem. I don't think it was Aaron Boone's fault. They were 82 and 80. Uh, they had a negative run differential. They just weren't that good because of the injuries and the players they were putting on the field due to the injuries and the age, frankly. Um, I do think they will be better. Uh, I don't think they're as good as the odds makers are making them out to be. I, and I'm not sure why. I've seen some people say they're the favorite. They were 82 and 80. They added one great player. Uh, and they're, to me, their rotation depth is a major issue. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't know. You're, you're so much better with the math stuff than I am. Like uh, the, the prognostication systems didn't like the Orioles last year either after they won like what was about 85, 86, whatever they won the year before mm -hmm. where they finally had a winning record. And the expectation by all the prognostication uh, metric systems where they were going to take a step back. And we're seeing that again this year. You know, your point, they'll probably get holiday with a full season of Grayson Rodriguez having established himself. Uh, you know, I kind of like them. And it's a it's a, it's a tough division. Boston's done nothing. I think Boston probably would win the AL Central. If we threw them in there, they're probably <laughs> going to finish last again in the a in the AL East. Um, but uh, when it comes to the Yankees. I'm just worried about kind of the Frankenstein's monster makeup of it all. And if Aaron Boone and his coaching staff are capable, when you combine the personalities and the pressure associated with off of what happened, let us not forget Boone is, is in his last year of his contract. Uh, there certainly were a lot of calls for his job and Brian Cashman's job at the end of 82 and 80. Um, is he, is Aaron Judge, Anthony Rizzo, this doesn't feel like a cohesive group that didn't feel like it last year. Now, I know one of their fight songs is everyone got religion. Like last year shook him into shape and we see Giancarlo Stanton has lost weight and is in better shape. And there's 10 guys down in Tampa for a month now. And all right, the rubber's going to hit the road and nobody's behavior really changes all that much. Once you reach a certain age, I try to be more patient every year. I'm less patient every year. Uh, I, I don't know. I just not sure about the, 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 like, it feels like the team was put together like a fantasy team more than a cohesive unit team. Or is that yeah. just me? I don't know. I'm not sure if it's the mix. I, I do think it's the injuries, but I, some of that's brought on by the age and, uh, you know, some of these guys are just brittle, uh, but I, I do think the age was a major factor. I do think if Rizzo is there for the whole year, I do think I still believe that Stan is certainly going to be better than last year. Uh, I, you know, he's young enough that you'd think he'd have something good left in him. Judge, they missed him for two months. That was huge. I mean, I think he's the best position player in the league. Uh, I don't just think that. I, I know that he is. Uh 
Certainly the addition of Soto, they have an incredible one-two punch. They still have an ace. Um, I mean, they are a very good team. I just not. I just think they're overrated by the odds makers based on what they did last year and what they added. I, I don't see why they're favored at all over the Orioles, much less way favored over the Orioles. I, I don't get it, frankly. Yeah, you know, I, I just see the variance in them. It, you could convince me they're going to win. They're very talented to the point. You name, you name some of the best. Three of the, like, ten best players in baseball are on their roster. And uh, it's, you know, we've seen the Angels underperform having stuff like that. But, I you know, that that's great. Yeah. You could convince me they could win 97. And you could convince me they're back at 82 again because of injury, age. Does Volpe really take a step? Uh, you know, how does Boone manage kind of some stuff that – you know, could be problematic. So I I, I see variants there. Like I yeah. see them, I could see them beating out the Orioles and the Blue Jays and the, the Rays, and I could see them finishing fourth again. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, they are top heavy. That's a fair point. Uh, but, you know, teams have won like that. The Nats were very top heavy when they had Soto now with the Yankees and they had Strasburg and they had Scherzer. Uh, you know, they had four or five great players and the rest of the team looked uh, rather ordinary. Um, so you can win like that. Um, again, my question is that depth with that rotation. I, I mean, you're counting on a lot for Rodon was simply terrible last beyond being injured. He was, he was frankly terrible. Cortez was injured. I mean, you know, I do think he has talent, but, uh, you know, the one year that he performed was the previous year. Nobody saw that coming. Is he going to conjure that up again somehow? Uh, you know, Stroman was basically out for the last couple months of the season until he came back at the very end uh he's been a reliable performer generally over his career but just a lot of questions when you depend on all three of those guys specifically to be in the rotation and be good yeah and and i think they're in the same i guess soto helps to this but anything happens to cole or judge and they're in big trouble uh again yeah. like when it judge missed last year uh, a big chunk of it john let's pivot real quickly let's put the hall of fame to bed we had discussed this a little bit uh, you know let's talk about it uh you and i have been voters for a long time I, me since 1999 you remember your first year voting what it was a long time ago a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> uh and um like we we go through this process every year. What would you change? Uh, what what what's on your kind of mind to change about this whole process? Yeah. Well, one thing I was advocating forever was that we should reveal our votes, and we finally generally are revealing our votes. There are a few holdouts who are really embarrassed about their votes or are very squeamish about the reaction. But I'm now of a mind that we should not reveal our votes because I think that people are voting due to peer pressure. I simply don't get why somebody gets goes from 10% to 70% or 75%. And that's been happening frequently lately. Uh, maybe frequently is overstating it, but I mean, Scott Rowland did it. And I did switch and vote for Rowland. Billy Wagner has, has done it, basically. He's right on the cusp of election. I thought it was interesting, and I, and I get it. I mean, Billy Wagner certainly has a good case, and I get why people vote for him. I, I don't happen to vote for him, but I, I thought it was interesting that he said that uh, he didn't get why, you know, he hasn't pitched, he hasn't thrown a pitch. He doesn't get why there were a couple guys who voted for him the previous year and took away the vote. Well, there's 250 guys who did the opposite, uh, who who didn't vote for him and now are voting for him, at least from the beginning when he had 10% to now 74%. Uh, I find that odd. I You know, I, I've switched occasionally. I voted for Ron Santo at the end. I did start voting for Barry Bonds. Uh, 
I, I've made a couple of switches. I did. Uh, Roland was a guy I switched on, but uh, I don't get it. I mean, we're way too easily influenced by social media, by what people are going to say. And I think that's affecting the vote. And I, I think it's frankly embarrassing that we have so many guys go from 10 percent to 70 percent without throwing a pitch or hitting a home run or anything. Wouldn't it be just better if we all just didn't look at social media? Wouldn't that be a bit easier thing? <laughs> I mean, we are. This is a group is like, look, I think this is I think it's ridiculous that people don't announce what their Oscar votes are. You know, like with people who really care about the movies, the NFL goes. Uh, there's like 50 guys who go into a room and they come out and tell you who seven right. old famers are and nobody does it. And by the way, that committee, those veteran committees where 16 people go in and one of the rules is you can't talk about it. Like, that's the rule. You can't talk about, well, there's only 16 of you. Like, we know how that was influenced on someone like Harold Baines. So I always feel like like transparency would be better. Uh, John, if I could change something, I would just make it everyone stays on the ballot for at least three years. Like, what's the big deal? Like, it's like these are the Hall of Fame rules and the people who take the criticism for it is the writers, which is how did Kenny Lofton fall off after a year or Jim Edmonds? Or it's like, well, I wouldn't have them fall off. Like to your look, it might not be great, but we've yeah. seen people go from little to a lot. And maybe there are players who would go from a little to a lot. And there's no reason not to have everyone on for three years and then make a number. You want to keep it 5%, 7%, 10%. If you haven't gotten it after three years, some number we know you have no shot to get to 75 to after 10 years, take them off. I mean, who cares how big the ballot is? I know people say, well, then I'll have trouble getting to 10. If you have 10, you have too many. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like decide who a Hall of Famer is and and what's the matter, what the size is. Just keep them on the ballot, everyone on the ballot for three years. Yeah, I'm an advocate for that. Uh, you know, if there's some revelation and somebody gets switched and you know what? Purple I-11 was what, at 17 percent at one point and he yeah. got in. And at this point, I never voted for him. And I think I was wrong. I think he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. So uh, I, I kind of get that. But I, I just advocated for us not going from 10 percent to 75 percent. So it's going to be hard for me to say we should keep the five percenters on and then watch from somebody with four percent go to 75 percent. I get it, though. I, I just think that works better. If we if we combine our two thoughts, secret ballot and keep everyone on the ballot, I think that works. I, I, I have uh, one other I would advocate for strongly. I think the ceremony should be moved to late June from late July. Look, there's a couple of big events on the baseball calendar every year, and one of them is the trade deadline. And I don't know about you, John, one of the reasons I don't cover the Hall of Fame is it's kind of during trade deadline stuff all the time. And I kind of think it would be disrespectful to like walk out on stuff because there was a big trade, uh, you know. And so to me, if you go to late June, the NHL is over, the NBA is over, the NFL camps haven't opened yet, move it to a Monday so there's no baseball games. It's the only thing on that day, a Monday in late June, by the way, if you you see this in Cooperstown, it's so hot in July. We got 70-year-old-plus men up on the stage who are the Hall of Famers. We got people in the crowd, thousands and thousands of people. The temperature would be more temperate. School is out. I just think it should be done in late June. It's a better place on the calendar. Can't argue with that. I haven't been there since 1996. That's a long time. I, I started voting uh, about that time, I think. I'm trying to remember, uh, since you asked earlier. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, 
I haven't been. I'd like to go. Is that a good reason for us to switch it? And I'd like to go to the Hall of Fame. And I, I, there's no, I couldn't, I can't go in late July because I have to follow the trade deadline. That's yeah, more we have big events job. cannibalizing each other there. Right. Like, where, like, there's only, like, you know, the World Series, the All-Star Game, the trade deadline, the GM meetings, Hall of Fame. Like, let's not have them climbing over each other where we don't right. have full attention. And let's not have games on the day. Let's do it on a Monday. Uh, and it's the day or even you want to keep it on a Sunday. MLB just don't schedule games on that Sunday yeah. or schedule one game. That's the Hall of Fame game. You know, whatever you want. I just think it's such a big event. People care about it so much. The social media thing is a revelation about how much people care about this. And then we're doing some stuff to detract from the day itself when we finally induct people. Oh, yeah, the Hall of Fame is still great in baseball. It's, you know, obviously somewhat big in football, but I mean, Everyone's saying now uh, America's sport is football, but Hall of Fame is bigger in baseball. The All-Star Game is bigger in baseball. Why not emphasize what's better in baseball? Yeah, the awards, people care more about like MVP and yeah. uh, Cy Young, and I think in our sport than in other sports. Yeah, I, I, there, there's other things, John, but it will take too much time. And you know me, my mind will go into 20 different places. Uh, so why don't we cut, cut it off here? And we'll get to uh, our next segment where we have uh, A.J. Hinch, the manager of the, the Detroit Tigers. John and I are so pleased to have uh, manager of the uh, Detroit Tigers, uh, A.J. Hinch. A.J., you'll be entering your fourth year with the Tigers. And look, I think one of the reasons we have you on, we'd love having you as a guest, we've had you before, is there is some buzz about your team right now. Uh, perhaps that's about the AL Central, I think you could argue is uh, the worst of the six divisions, but you finished strong. You finished 18 and 10 in September, which I think was tied for the best record in the AL. You really beat up on the teams in your division last year. How optimistic are you that you you and the Angels are the teams that have gone the longest in the sport without making the playoffs? Can the Tigers make the playoffs in 2014, in 2024? I don't like that stat. You just said that, that feels like forever since our fans have have enjoyed uh, Tigers baseball in the postseason. But I, I, you know, the answer is I don't know because we got to play the games. I, I think I'm proud to admit that we, Hey, we were making progress. We like the stuff that we're doing. I think our young players are emerging. There is um, a ton of stuff to be positive about coming out of last year, whether it's, you know, the emergence of Scooble, the, the, the development of Torquay greens, healthy. Now carp had a great year. Um, you know, obviously we, we just signed Cole Keith. It's going to bring a lot of attention to him, but um you know, when I look at this team, I see progress. I see a group that's starting to learn and understand how to win. It's changing because of, you know, some of the veteran players, most notably Miguel Cabrera has moved on. But I, you know, I think we understand what it takes to win and building the foundation of this over the last few years. Our guys are going to have a clear understanding and there's going to be a lot of people that um, start to look around at that winning record in September. Or we won a lot of games in the division and 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 start to to see some some players that are emerging. That's a good sign. We just can't talk that way until we earn it and until we win some games. I mean, we haven't had a winning April in my three years here. I mean, that's we we've got to get off to a better start to um, you know to start dreaming of what's ahead. But the goal the goal is absolutely going to be uh, taking the next step. 
AJ, I've got to ask you about Javi Baez. I look like one of the most talented players in baseball. Uh, certainly his second half with the Mets was outstanding, and he has not been good at all with the Tigers, shockingly so. Uh, I know that you guys have hired Joey Cora, who was with him with the Mets. Um, is that part of the equation in hiring Cora? Do you feel good about Baez? And if he can't do it, do you have an answer? Who can be your shortstop? Yeah, so I, I mean – Part of the, the the number one reason we hired Joey is he's tremendous. Um, he's a really good coach. He's a veteran coach. He's been there. He's won. Um, I like some of the old school teachings where he's you know he is he is pure coach all the way, but yet he's evolved to be um, actually pretty progressive. You know, when you look at someone who's been in the game for a long time, we make a we make a terrible uh, judgment sometimes that they are sort of stuck in their ways or they are, they're old school and Joey's an incredible blend. So I've been trying to hire Joey Cora for a number of years and it, it happens to coincide now with, you know, his relationship with Javi is good. Um, he's very direct with players. I love what, what he's done with infielders throughout his career. Um, we need Javi to be good. You know, I think his, um, his off season has been productive. We've, we've spent some coaches, so we sent some coaches down to Puerto Rico uh, to check in on him. We sent a trainer down there. He's done his workouts. He looks like he's in good shape. I'm going to see him in a couple weeks. He's been interactive in the offseason. He knows it's a big spot. Um, because when you look at somebody as talented as Javi, and then you look back at last year, where he started to slide down the order, he started to become, um, you know, I didn't play him a ton down the stretch just so he could mentally clear his mind. Um, we're looking for a bounce back year from him. There are stretches during these couple of years in, in Detroit where he's been incredible. Those get sort of, you know, uh, glossed over whenever whenever you have the uh, the type of seasons that he's had. But he's still as talented as you referenced. We do see him as a big part uh, of what we're doing. And and hopefully as we've surrounded him with, you know, another veteran in, in Mark Canna or, you know, as I said, Torque and Green and Carp and and Jake Rogers all evolving into, into, into major leaguers, those – that's going to help ease his, his his responsibility. He doesn't have to bat fourth. He doesn't have to to be the the El Mago that he was in Chicago. We just need a good version of him. AJ, why don't we deal with a little recent news? Uh, you guys signed Colt Keith to a six year contract before he played a game in the major leagues. Uh, he's one of the top prospects in the sport. He played a lot of third base in the minors. I think he's expected to play second base. Uh, for your team, if, if you'll tell us if he has a chance. But the, the the big question I have is a lot of these pre-contracts, we look at Louis, Luis Robert, it really worked. Eloy Jimenez kind of has worked. But a lot of these haven't worked. The John Singletons, the Evan Whites, the Scott Kingeries. Why will Colt Keith work and, and, and what's his chances of making your team? Yeah, so the second question is he's going to have to come and earn it. Uh, but we obviously we love the kid. We love his, his upside. We love the, the, what he can do on the field and, and, and we expect him to come in and, and have a good spring and, and, and make our team. Now he's going to have to earn it. Like that's one thing that where we separate the business side and the baseball side, I was up in Detroit with him and his family. And I was like, this is all great. And I love that he's doing this, but he's got some work to do, you know, to be, to be a major league player and be a good major league player. The business side of this deal, he's, he's dealing with the organization and his relationship there. So I'm proud of him. Um, you know, for all the work that he's done to this point, we love the bat. I think the combo uh, of plate discipline, power, um, you know, the hit tool, like there's a ton to love offensively. And I think all of us 
are starving for offense in the game. And when you see a player who can can impact um, in so many different ways, it it you know you, you become a believer very quickly. You know he is going to work. He is going to play second base. Uh, for the most part, we're still going to hit him some ground balls at third base. We're not sure how we're going to configure it. And if you know me, I'm going to, I love moving guys around a little bit and have an optionality when it comes to the defensive side. So I think, you know, his, his play discipline and his power is, is the way I'll answer your question because it's, it's unique. Um, and now the next challenge is the big leagues. He's answered every, everything thrown in front of him through the minor leagues. What's going to come with this expectation is some, is some pressure. I know. Uh, my job is going to be to take that up. It's a business side. He's now set for life. Um, he gets a chance to go out and just focus on the baseball. And given his makeup, um, we think he's going to be a really good player. You know, this interview obviously is going to be about 90%, uh, 99% probably Tigers and baseball. But I'm going to go off the board here. You and Joel were chatting before. You said you were in Detroit uh, for the Lions uh final game there. And boy, uh, I'm sure there were a lot of disappointed people. I just want to ask you about the mood of the city. And uh, I mean, obviously Dan Campbell did a great job overall, but he's taken a lot of heat. You've been there. Uh, what do you think? He took some major gambles in that game. Yeah. I mean, I, first of all, I love what the lions have done for the, that organization for the city. I mean, it, it, the, the fans showed up and, and supported this team just like they did us down the stretch you know, as we as we guided Miguel Cabrera into retirement, it was uh, the fans are incredible in Detroit. And if you talk to people, players, coaches, managers that have come to Detroit, incredible sports town, incredible support of the local teams. Uh, went to the Red Wings game on Friday night with Colt and, and was able to see um, that's an emerging young team who's getting back to prominence. Like it's fun to see the city alive and the fans uh, respond accordingly. So I'm I'm looking forward to to more of that to come. I follow the Lions all year. I'm a, I'm a football fan. Um, and, you know, I love I love the energy that Dan brought. I love the messaging that he brought. I love the toughness that he brought. Um, we've gotten to know a few of the players in the in sort of the cross sport stuff. Um, and so I, I, I think, you know, when it comes down to the season's going to end abruptly. I've been there. I've done I've made the move in game seven of the World Series. that doesn't work out. I've made the move in game seven of the World Series that has worked out. Um, the process was incredible. I know the percentages. Um, I know Dan's still probably thinking about all of the decisions that 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 everybody thinks of. And I think he's thinking of things that no one's even brought up that in his inside his decision making throughout the game um, that could have shifted things. So love the man, love, love what he's doing for our city and, and, and for, you know, the, the NFL. Um, and I think they're building something special across the street from us. And we're certainly going to try to match that energy. I love that both of you have buried the lead. It's the NBA guy always that has to point out that the Pistons might lose more games than anybody in the history of the league this year. Uh, so I'm sure between that I had and no the idea. Lions, By the way, I had no idea. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> I expect that from you, John. Uh, but uh, I, I expect between that and the Lions, the, the fans in Detroit are, would love to turn the page with you and your team. You mentioned the young players with the Lions. It feels to me... Like one of the things you did last year was there was a bit of a cornerstone with young players. Uh, Scooble went healthy, kind of pitched like an ace. I don't know. A lot of people noticed that. Riley Green went healthy, played well. Torkelson's last two months, Kerry Carpenter. There's also a lot of variance with youth. Uh, it could go the other way. Why do you believe in this group of, of youth? 
Well, I think the lessons learned are are really important. And I, I think you're right. Like we don't know how every single guy is going to respond. But when you look at, um, you know, what Torque has done as an example, he's a great case study for this, where he comes up, huge expectations, number one pick, um, gets thrown into the Wolves at 22. He he struggles. Um, he comes back the very next year, stands up for himself, 30. I mean, he just did so much progress in the one year once he learned. The biggest issue I think that comes with young young teams is the is the expectations. It's the it's the patience to allow those hundred at bats for Kerry Carpenter to have before all of a sudden you look up, and you're like, man, he hit 20 homers, he's got good good at bat skills, he's got good plate discipline. He can do some things offensively where you get other managers and coaches to ask me about him. That's what it starts to make me wonder, like, hey, this group, somebody's asking me about Greeny. Somebody's talking to me about about Carp. Someone's saying, hey, what about this Abanez kid against left-handed pitching? I mean, there's some there's some build to this where the the players start to believe in themselves, the 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 league starts to to respect what they're doing. Uh, and then you surround them with with very stable people. Like we had a part of Tarek Skubal's emergence has been having Eduardo here and having Lorenzen here and having him grow up with Mize and Manning in the big league so that he can help Reese Olsen, who had a quietly pretty solid year in the rotation. Those things, I think it just all starts to percolate. So it's not one thing or it's not one belief system. It's a, it's kind of a, uh, it embodies the whole team as to, as to why we're good. Now you factor that in and I don't want to like tip my hand on what we're going to talk about in the team meeting when I first address this team, but Youth is good here in this league. Youth can win in this league. Youth can make a difference. It doesn't have to be simply the older teams or the highest profile teams or the biggest, uh, you know, biggest markets and the most in the most in the in the salary stuff. So I, I think there's a belief system that's starting to establish. Now we got to go out and play. Some of that's going to come with a bumpy road or two. That's okay if, as long as it doesn't happen to all of them at the same time. Hey, looking at your roster before you came on, uh, there there are a lot of good young players on this team. The one question I'd have would be uh, third base. Now, this is a team that uh, spent quite a bit, probably beyond its means, when Mike Illich was owning it. Owning it, and obviously Miguel Cabrera is now off the books. Uh, I'm wondering, is there any? I've never heard this. So I'm just throwing it out there. Is, is there any movement toward per, perhaps Chapman is still out there for third base uh, or? Do you have a third baseman there that I didn't discover while looking at your roster? Um, well, I think I think we're always looking for ways to improve. I mean, Scott and Greeny have 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 done a great job communicating with me on on what you know what they're trying to do, what what we're trying to do as a group. I think I think that in in some ways we have to get away from the thought that every single position has to have the born and bred player right there right now and and leave some optionality for things to emerge. Now, I mentioned Abanez as an example. Um, if you look at what he did in the after June last year against specifically his left-handed pitching, um, he was a bona fide real player that I could play against every lefty um, whenever we wanted. Zach McKinstry is going to get some time over there as a left-handed utility player, move around the field. Um, there was a stretch in time where he he handled right-handed pitching. So that sets up a natural platoon for just those two. Matt Verling's going to play a little bit of third base. He's been somebody's ever since his Philly days. You know, we're talking about him as a third baseman. He played center field in the World Series a couple of years ago. He can go from the infield in the outfield. Um, I, you know, I, we'll see what happens with, you know, young prospects like Jace Young or or 
Um, obviously, see where Colt ends up at second or third. There's there's questions for sure. I think one thing we're we're trying to establish is that we're going to give ourselves optionality at some of these positions because there's we'll be able to piece it together and maybe have a better player than one singular guy. You know, uh, it gets lost in the shuffle a little. Casey Mize was a number one, was a first overall pick in the draft. Uh, he's hardly pitched the last two seasons, not at all last year after Tommy John's surgery. Where is he and what is your level? Is he a top of the rotation guy, a mid-rotation guy? Where where does he fall in your head? So I, I, I'm super excited to see Casey on the mound. I saw him throw a bullpen in Lakeland um, a week ago or so. Uh, he, he feels good. He's going to go into camp, you know, with, um, you know, his full array of stuff. He's going to be, he's going to have a chance to get out and compete again. This guy hasn't pitched in almost two years. Um, and if you know him, it's, it's eating at him. He's such a good competitor. He's got a great mind. Um, he really understands pitching and now his body's going to cooperate, had a back issue, had a, had an arm issue. Um, and now he can, he can get back on the mound and get to attacking the hitters. Um, I don't know where he fits in. I don't really label guys on where they're supposed to fit in. I know, you know, he's got the, you know, the proverbial number one tag that's come with him. He he doesn't let allow that to distract him. He's a good pitcher and he he can get a lot of outs. I've never seen him fully healthy in my time. And he made it to the big leagues and he had some stretches that was pretty good. So um, I know he he prides himself on making starts. He prides himself in in being um, you know, everybody says innings eater as if that's not good. That's great to be a good innings eater who also gets outs. Um, but I, I think right now I want him to pitch, be healthy the next day, get to a bullpen and get into that routine and prove that, um, you know, that he's cleared these these last couple of years of rehab. Yeah, the big winter moves to this point have been uh, Maeda and, and Flaherty. So uh, I want to ask you about them and the overall rotation. Uh, Flaherty was, you know, top of the rotation starter uh, through t- 2019. Hasn't been as good lately. Uh, what's your expectation for him? And Maeda's been good, frankly, when he's been healthy. But there's been a question there on the health issue. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think one thing that we that we kind of have a – uh, we have a sneaky group of pitchers who are, who've been pretty good and who, we, we have a number of arms that we can throw at you in different ways. And um, we have different ways to get to the finish line. I mean, our bullpen was really good last year, our rotation. Um, you know, we can have a pretty good competition in the spring to see how it, how it all rounds out. I mean, and specifically to the free agents that we brought in, you know, we, we spent considerable time making sure that it was the right person at the right time. Maeda jumped at our deal. Um, he was super excited. We saw him in the, in the, um, in the central last year when he was in Minnesota, um, he talked about winning. He talked about, you know, liking what we're doing. You know, I, I, he joked that he didn't like facing our lineup, um, all good signs. And I thought he really wanted to be a tiger and, and, and see what, what Fett and Robin Lund and, and Juan Nieves can do with him. We spent a lot of time on Flaherty. You know, I went and saw him in Vegas. I had a chance to sit down and, and have dinner with him. And you start to learn about the person, learn about his journey um, and you want to talk about a lot thrown at a young kid at a young age in St. Louis, one of the best baseball towns in in, in the sport, um, and, and him have to deal with success and then deal with getting punched in the mouth a little bit. So we have some adjustments we like with him. He's already working with our pitching department. We had some success in the last couple of years, um, taking a player from point A to point B and have him be better, better for it. So I think he's coming here to be better. He's coming here to, to win. Um, and you know, again, like 
when someone looks at someone's overall numbers in the last year or the last two years, it's easy to gloss over. There are a couple stretches in there that um, where he was pretty good and he showed he showed glimpses of of being that top of the rotation guy. We get part of that back. We're, we're talking about a super deep rotation that has some guys stacked in triple A that are that are that are major league ready. Yeah, I, one of the guys in your rotation who sticks out to me, uh, AJ, is uh, Tarek Skubal. I'm not sure that the casual baseball fan would uh, know the name, but I actually looked strikeout percentage for guys who started at least 15 games this uh, last year. One is Strider, two is Glassnell, three is Scooble, and the guys he's are ahead of are Snell and Otani. Uh, now the thing is, he did make 15 starts, uh, injuries there. Do you have a budding ace in Scooble? Man, he's incredible. Um, and I we love having him on the mound with the intensity. Um, and I don't think enough people have talked about him, but he's been hurt. You know, he hasn't had a stretch of, you know, of of 30 plus starts. My first year, you know, we governed him a little bit and he still came down injured. But the combination of stuff, competitor, presence, um, sort of fear instilled in the other side. I mean, I, you know, in these games, you end up casually meeting a bunch of different guys. I've managed a lot of guys in my career. So we ended up seeing, saying hello behind the cage or, you know, out on the field before the game. And he might be the single player on this team that I get asked about the most from the opponent. And I think that's incredible respect. It's also like, they're starting to see like, this dude's not easy to hit. He's not somebody that you can take. He, he dominates his own early in counts. He's, he's a huge human. You know, he got his velocity, uh, ticked up into the upper 90s. He's got some mechanical things that that our group is has has tweaked with him. And then you look up and you're like, consistent start, consistent start, consistent start. That that to me is 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 starting to be someone that we can really rely on. And then when you meet the person, man, he's. Um, I hope he gets some more attention. I hope he pitches the way that he pitched last September. You know, throughout this season, and then you can start talk, talk, talking about somebody who can anchor a staff and. And really have a presence that when the when the rotation rolls around, every single person um, on our team or in our building thinks we're going to win because Tarek Scoobles pitching. That's the kind of that's the kind of feel that you have uh, about this young guy. Uh, tell us what your expectations are for Marcana. We're we're big fans, not only uh, covering him in New York, but of course he was one of our guests on the show. So we always like anyone who comes on, and we do appreciate the fact you've gone. Multiple times. We're going to make a list of our multiple guests, but uh, right. we do appreciate you being being on a lot. And uh, some more canna. No, he's awesome. You know, I, I see him from the other side. It's a tough at bat. You know, he's very disciplined. Um, there's a presence to him. There's a little bit of a competitive edge to him. And, you know, I, I, I think he's going to primarily be on the corner for us. Uh, I'm still going to keep the first base glove there. Joe, Joey Cora was like, AJ, he's good. He can give Torque a blow at any point. He's actually pretty good over there. Um, so, as you know, we love the style. I don't need him to be the rah-rah kind of leader. Like, this group has a great personality about it already. What I love about Canna and what he brings is, is that competitive edge, that preparation, the how we conduct at bats, how we attack the opponent, the game planning that goes with beating a, a starting pitcher like you know, I joke, like he's an adult in the room. He's somebody who we know is going to be stable. We know he's going to be prepared. He's going to crush the food scene out in Detroit. He's a big foodie. <laughs> um, and I and I think his his overall vibe, he's been on young teams in Oakland that have emerged. He's been on the the big market Mets um, with all of those expectations. So 
I'm pumped to have him. And, and, and we've been, you know, kind of texting back and forth all winter as he's, you know, he goes from dad husband mode to grind in the batter's box mode here pretty soon. I, that's what we're expecting from him. And I think it's what we're going to get. He's done it his whole career. AJ, as usual, John talking for me, I, I'll let the fans know you can play a game out there. Fans is I haven't loved all our guests. We like now you and Canis stick out, but we really like you guys. But if the fans would like to play who I might not have loved along the way, they could do that. Uh, as There's only wrapping, been one bad guest. I, I banned him a long time ago, and you know that, Joel. <laughs> uh, play the game, fans. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, as a way to wrap up, AJ, I want to go off the grid a little bit also away, away from the Tigers. Um, at the end of the season, uh, Dusty Baker, Terry Francona, they retired. Uh, I think Buck Showalter has probably reached his end here also. You know, these are guys who've won thousands and thousands of games. We saw it in the NFL. Belichick and Carroll didn't get jobs. I just wonder what you think of kind of like the legacy managers. They're kind of like out of the game now. Is the game worse for it? Do you feel a baton passed to somebody like you and some uh, burden uh, when when these kind of guys leave our sport? Yeah, it's, I mean, first off, a ton of respect um, for all those names you mentioned. And specifically with, with Terry Francona, I was, you know, I managed against him in the last game. We had Miguel Cabrera retiring and we had Terry Francona retiring in the same. And and I walked over and stood in the hallway and talked to Tito for a bit. Um, and you get kind of sad. I mean, when you see these guys that have given their whole life uh, to players, to the game, to the, to, you know, we, we are on TV all the time. We've now evolved to podcasts. Like there's, there's so many ways that I think this position impacts the sport. And these are icons that are leaving the sport. And I think as much as, you know, we've, we've, we, we probably forget half of what they've done in the game and half of what they've the influence that they've had. And so the hat tip is necessary. I think they're reflecting back on, you know, what Dusty's done or what Boach is currently doing. We thought we were doing this for Boach years ago um, when he stepped away. Now he comes back and wins the World Series. I talked to Buck this offseason. Like I said, I was trying to stay connected to Tito. I mean, there, there's so much you can learn. And it comes full circle for me. You know, when we were at the winter meetings, there's all this dead time and there wasn't a ton going on. I'm sure you guys were were just as frustrated as I was. There wasn't a lot of action. I found myself in a room with, you know, uh, Derek Shelton and, and Aaron Boone and, and Stephen Vogt, brand new manager, who were all excited that he's going to get his opportunity. And you start to look around the room. I sat next to Joe Espada in the manager meeting. I look across the room and Ron Washington's back. Um, Alex Cora has done great things in Boston. I know he's, you know, he's well regarded. Craig Council just signs a big deal. And you look around, you're like, we're all the peers now are like, you are seeing a, a changing of, of the face of, of, of that room in the face of the, it doesn't mean less. It doesn't mean there somebody's not going to emerge and be the next version of these great icons, but man, just like taking a veteran player off your team and, and, and putting a, you know, putting somebody else in, there's a presence that's lost in, in the sport, in those meetings, in the, in the overall vibe when, when such great leaders and such great baseball men are, are stepping away and, and retiring. So hats off to, to that group. The NFL group as well. And thank you for paving a way of like what some days feels like an impossible legacy to follow. But those of us that are now reaching, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 years of managing, um, hope someday to have just as big an impact. 
Well, you know, just pointed out as we we say goodbye here, you saw it in your town, right? Like Dan Campbell have to go through the churner uh, after the decisions uh, in the NFC championship game. You know, the admiration is high for people who can stick around because it's not going to be hopping from one lily pad to the other. You know, even the great guys, Belichick, you know, we see it didn't end well. You know, he's lost Super Bowls, you know, and he's probably the greatest ever. And he's questioned on the way out. So the ability to stick around, I think you're, you're 10 years in. We're about to enter year 11. AJ, I do admire the people who can handle this because it it, it does come with more than ever, both internally and externally. So I wanted to say that before. I, one, I, one last I, thing. One, yeah. one of the cool things, if you can look up, is watch Dan Campbell walk out with Teddy Bridgewater with his arm around him. And I saw the picture. Tunnel, right? Yeah. Like that That feel, like the text that I get from former players of mine or the current players of mine or the coaches, like, um, you know, just as much as there's the criticism, you try to stay off off <laughs> the social media whenever you have a controversial decision. Um, that connection with the players is what brings you back and, 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 and the impact that you can have in somebody's world. Um, it's pretty incredible. I try to just stay off social media, uh, but that's me. Uh, AJ, uh, John and I really appreciate uh, you joining us. Two weeks, uh, spring training opens. Uh, best of luck and health to you and your team going forward. And I'm sure John and I will see you down in Florida at some point. Sounds good. Come on down. Look forward to seeing you. All right. You. AJ, thank you so much. AJ Hinch, manager of the Detroit Tigers. John and I, of course, thank AJ Hinch for joining us. John, spring training two weeks away. What do you got for us? Hit or error? I'm going to go with a hit. I'm going to go with the Minnesota Twins. I think they got a lot for Jorge Polanco. Uh, you know, we've been talking about him being available, and I've been kind of poo-pooing it. You know, he's an infielder. Nobody seems to be looking for infielders. I would Merrifield still out there with no job. Uh, I can name five or six other guys who should be at least major league players who have no job. And somehow they got a lot from Seattle. Uh, Gabriel uh, Gonzalez, uh, an outstanding outfield prospect, came back. Di Sclavani, a reasonably good starting pitcher, came back to the Twins. They got money in the deal. Uh, I thought that was a great – the Twins have made some good deals. Uh, that deal last year where they got Pablo Lopez uh, – for Arise, I mean, Arise was great. He's great with the Marlins, as you see him here in Miami, and uh, he won another batting title, and he's fantastic. But Pablo Lopez is much more valuable, frankly, than Arise at this point to have a great starting pitcher, and they got a prospect in that one as well. So I'm going to give it to Minnesota Twins, who've been relatively quiet this winter, haven't had money. They've been embroiled in that TV situation that's uh, gotten Texas and some other teams, but I thought their trade uh, for Polanco going to Seattle was excellent. Yeah, uh, John, I was going to bring up the Araz uh, Lopez thing because they got the prospects also, even if you think the trade was close to 50-50 because Araz was such a good hitter and Lopez was such a high-end starter. The Twins were the team that got the prospects in that trade, especially they got one specifically good prospect right, in Salas. that trade. Right. Yeah, so like, uh, yeah, and I agree with you. I, I These things tend not to go how you think all the time with common wisdom, but I thought they for for a player they can replace in Polanco because they have so much uh, you know especially left hand hitting I know you switch here but left hand hitting in the lineup uh, you know I think he's replaceable and the stuff they got is more valuable including a little more money to spend in this marketplace perhaps on another pitcher starter or reliever John my hitter error I was at the uh, baseball writers dinner on Sunday night um, the 99th uh, dinner uh, we missed one uh, because of COVID. Uh, it was exactly the 100th anniversary of the first time we had ever done this. 
It was really great. I got to give out the good guy award that night to Adam Adebino. But I do want to note, um, it came up in a question we had to AJ Hinge. We honored Dusty Baker and Terry Francona. And uh, I'm glad we did. It was the last award we gave out of the night uh, for uh, two guys who are really legends of the game. Two guys I assume are going to end up in Cooper. We talked Cooperstown today. I think they'll end up in Cooperstown with one of the veteran committees that will put both of them in at some point. And I just kind of, I'll add Buck Showalter to this, who's kind of ended also is, John, I miss managers who kind of really engaged the give and take with reporters and didn't stick to standing in front of a logoed backdrop uh, for the local uh, cable access thing, that the local cable that's doing the, the network and is media trained beyond all interest. Dusty Baker and, and Tito Francona and Buck Showalter were interesting to talk to about baseball. I wish that all the people, the managers talks more about his team than anyone else. And I hope AJ Hinch, who was our guest today, is one of these guys. More AJ Hinch, more Tito Francona, more Dusty Baker. We're all working for the fans. They kind of deserve to know what's going on with your team in an interesting way. Uh, absolutely. And Dusty Baker is, is an all-timer. Jim Leland, who's going to the Hall of Fame, another one incredible uh, guy to deal with, a give and take. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I've never been in the manager offices of Aaron Boone or any of the Mets manager since they moved, any of the whoever the Mets manager was since they moved to City Field. Uh, I don't know why they're hiding these guys. I mean, Buck Showalter was outstanding dealing with the media. Uh, Aaron Boone, who we had on multiple times, including last week, is fantastic uh, talking. Uh, he always says the right thing. He's never gotten in any trouble. I don't know why they need to hide these guys. I think it's a shame. Yeah, I think it's a shame, John. I'm, I'm look, we're we're old timers. We remember sitting in the manager's office before the game, and it wasn't an interview as much as it was kind of like shooting it. You know, like what's what's up, like talking about strategy, and and it all felt like a PhD uh, class because we were learning from real baseball, uh, like uh, master class guys. They're thinking on stuff. Not all of them, obviously. We covered some bad managers along the way. <laughs> we but, had some good ones, though. I mean, we, not we Shoulder, but Bobby Valentine to, to deal with yeah. him. I mean, he, that's an all-timer. Yeah, uh, I had him on as a guest when you weren't on, but yeah. uh, fantastic. I mean, the guy is a, and I, a thinker like beyond compare. He's always got different thoughts. Some of them are a little wacky, but uh, once yeah. in a while, there's a pearl in there that you can really use. He was at the baseball writers dinner. We uh, honored the uh, great infield of uh, yeah. uh, and Alfonso and Olerud were there. Ordonez and Ventura Warren. Uh, we're glad you're always out there. Our listeners uh, listening to this, the show, a podcast from the New York Post. Uh, Jake Brown, Andrew Hartz, our producers. Thanks as always for helping navigate the ship. Uh, don't forget uh, the, uh, to rate, review, subscribe, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, the New York Post Sports YouTube page. You get to see the pretty faces of, uh, okay, this week, AJ Hinge. Well, I'll leave us out of it, John. Uh, <laughs> though you pointed out your lovely background in Miami. You have to go I to YouTube. got a good background. Yeah. Nothing else, my, I got the background. My background is if you go far enough, you're out in the streets of Manhattan. Uh, John, Two weeks away, uh, spring training. Uh, you're going to be down in Florida open. I think I'm opening in Arizona, then heading to Florida. It's getting closer. We'll talk about all of it if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Hamilton.